One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. And welcome to The Chat Returns, a mini-series of conversations about our relationships with the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've been studying at their academy. So join us in our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Wow, Jake, welcome back once more to one of these Chat Returns episodes. What an amazing mini-series it has been so far. We've spoken with filmmakers, we've spoken with titans of animation, we've spoken with film critics, we've gone all the way across the board with our guests this time. Yeah, and today we're going to go all across the world. Uh, This is maybe the longest... Oh no, because we did have uh, Goro and Toshio from over in Japan. So it's maybe not the longest distance, but I think between this series... I mean, thanks to the capabilities of uh, Zoom, we've been able to really traverse quite the distance. Absolutely. We're embracing the whole world with a great big Totoro hug. (laughs) And we've mentioned before on this podcast, people are probably bored of hearing it, how much uh, you and I are partial to a little museum exhibition. Um, And the, the Ghibli Museum, we may have dedicated quite a substantial portion of this podcast just to either... Being there, talking about being there or remembering being there or talking to other people about it. Um, And today, maybe there might be a bit of a reference to it, but we're actually talking about a different museum. A museum long in the making, one that we've been waiting (laughs) for to hear about (laughs) for many years. It's finally here, the Academy Museum. Yeah, and as soon as this museum announced their first temporary exhibition. We have been waiting for them to open. And we don't know if we're ever going to get there whilst this exhibition is open. So we wanted to uh, kind of get the next best thing. And this is, of course, the Hayao Miyazaki exhibition, which is the inaugural temporary exhibition at the Academy Museum. It opens on the 30th of September in LA, I think, yeah. We're not going to get to LA anytime soon, um, but we did have the pleasure of talking to Jessica Niebel and Raul Guzman, who are the people who actually put this exhibition together. And we've provided something like an audio guide to the exhibition for people uh, who maybe can't head out there. But of course, also, if you can't head out to LA from the 30th of September, but want to still explore the world of Studio Ghibli, let us plug the Ghibliotech book 
our nice pandemic lockdown project last year where Jake and I went chapter by chapter through all the films of Studio Ghibli once more from Naushika, The Valley of the Wind all the way up to Earwig and The Witch. One film per chapter. I get to go back to the books, back into the library and fill out all the historical background, the stories behind the films. And then Jake, no longer the novice, no longer watching these films for the first time, got to revisit the films and provide his slightly more studied reviews of each one. It is putting into print everything that we've said on the podcast, going deeper than we have had before. It was such a fun experience and it's finally going to be on bookshelves in September, 2nd of September in the UK and the 14th in the US. It's also coming out around the world in various languages, which is quite exciting for us, uh, considering the title of this podcast is a bit of a weird pun that is using a, a, a French word with a Japanese one thrown in there too, seeing how various translators around the world are going to tackle that. It's going to be fun as well. Yes, and we can't wait for everyone to be getting their hands on it. And there's links to pre-order in the episode description if you want to already get one in advance. Now let's travel back to LA and this Hayao Miyazaki exhibition. So Jessica Niebuhr and Raul Guzman, they start this interview by just giving us an amazing detailed guided tour of this exhibition so you can really get a sense of what they've done. The exhibition is carved up into seven different sections it opens, imagine this, that you are the character of May. You're four years old and you have to crawl through the tree tunnel and then you emerge into the exhibition. There's image boards, character designs, layouts, background cells, loads of stuff that has never been shown outside of Japan. Uh, so just amazing to talk to both of them about it. Here they are, Jessica Niebel and Raul Guzman. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
we are so excited to be able to talk to some of the people that have put together one of the most beautiful sounding exhibitions about the works of Hayao Miyazaki that maybe one day we may be able to see ourselves uh, and some of our listeners I'm sure would love to as well. Uh, hopefully that day is not too far away in the future, uh, but we are very pleased to welcome Jessica Nebel and Raul Guzman. Hello everyone, my name is Jessica Nebel. I'm a curator at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures in Los Angeles and I'm currently working on our opening temporary exhibition Hayao Miyazaki and have been for several years, um, which has been so amazing because this exhibition was developed in close collaboration with Studio Ghibli. So um, it's really been an honor and I can't wait for the exhibition to open later this year. And I'm Raul Guzman. I'm an assistant curator at the Academy Museum and I've been working on this exhibition with Jessica for a few years and I'm really excited to you know, be very close to being able to share this with the public. It's been, um, I think, a dream opportunity to be able to work on this project with Jessica and with our friends at Studio Ghibli. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to the public being able to walk through the show. And it, it's the first time that an exhibition like this has happened as well. Uh, so before we talk in depth and detail about the elements uh, that are in it and the work that you've put in and your connections to Studio Ghibli, would one of you be able to paint us a picture, give us the guided tour of uh, what the elements are that make up this exhibition? Oh, super happy to. Actually, we can do that together um, because, you know, after all these years, I feel like we're the same person almost. So um, happy to do that. So when you enter the Academy Museum, um, go up to the fourth floor because this is where we're showing this exhibition um, and you enter it through a tree tunnel that was inspired by my neighbor Totoro. You probably remember the scene when young Mei is going through the tree tunnel to discover the Totoros, and we thought that would be a good way to lure people away from their everyday lives and introduce them to the magical worlds of Hayao Miyazaki. So this is an immersive installation that you walk through, and you can imagine that you hear the music from my neighbor Totoro. And if you try really hard, you can also discover Totoro in this tree tunnel. In the next gallery, visitors encounter the characters of Hayao Miyazaki's films. Um, we thought this would be kind of an amazing way to introduce the, the master. And we have a five-channel uh, installation featuring iconic lines that these characters say during the films, juxtaposed with uh, three case studies on uh, characters from his films with production materials, including his wonderful image boards, beautiful production cells, um, and I think it'll be really wonderful for visitors to be able to see how these characters originate through the production materials. We have some of the um, the stories behind these um, characters' creations and the labels, so you, you know visitors will be able to really understand how Miyazaki conceives of these characters and kind of you know they'll hopefully think of one as they go through the journey of the exhibition. Next is our making off gallery. That's probably our most educational gallery, I would say. It's less moving image heavy and more artwork heavy. Um, the first section is focusing on um, Hayao Miyazaki's early works, mostly in TV, uh, leading up all the way to the Castle of Cagliostro, his col collaboration with Isao Takahata. Then we have a whole section dedicated to the making of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Um, we felt that would be a good opportunity to also 
take a look at his process, how he works, look at the different types of materials and explain how animation is done at Studio Ghibli, even though Nausicaa was done, created before Studio Ghibli was founded, but we still thought it would be a really good example. Then we have a whole wall um, featuring Studio Ghibli's films, all of them, not just Hayao Miyazaki's, also Isao Takahata's and others. And of course, we show his Oscars. Um, and this gallery also features an animation desk that Studio Ghibli is sending us. So it's really focused on his process, um, on work, but also Nausicaa is such a pivotal film in his career that we felt um, it deserved a focus. And in the next gallery, uh, we really were inspired by, I think, one of the key scenes in Kiki where she's looking up at the sky, seeing the clouds pass by. And, you know, after you've met the characters, you've learned a little bit about his process, that next to encounter his world, these fantastical places that Miyazaki creates, you know, full of wonder and enchantment and maybe a sense of nostalgia as well. So we have a section where we feature the backgrounds of these beautiful locations with a special focus on Ponyo, um, the underwater worlds of that film, and the beautiful production materials that, you know, are the foundation for the films. In the middle, we have an installation inspired by Kiki um, when she's looking up. Uh, it was developed in close collaboration with Cedar Ghibli of painted um, clouds uh, passing by. So visitors were able to lie down and look up at the sky and see animated clouds. And, you know, we are inviting them to slow down, like, uh, you know, it happens at Miyazaki's films, where things maybe, you know, aren't as rushed. Uh, there's quiet moments of introspection, of beauty, of, you know, enjoying the beauty of the natural world. Um, so we thought it would be interesting and, you know, very fitting to be able to create this installation. Um, we juxtapose that section with the industrial worlds of Miyazaki uh, with a special focus on one of my favorite buildings, the bathhouse of Spirited Away. Um, this wonderful building where Chihiro, you know, enters and really grows up. Uh, and, you know, it's a beautiful journey and, you know, to be able to see these backgrounds in person, I think are just going to be a highlight. Um, they're stunning. The colors really are incredible, um, beautiful reds. Uh, and, you know, the way that they capture light is just really stunning. So I think being able to see these works um, juxtaposed to large scale installations of key scenes of these films is going to be a wonderful and I think unforgettable experience for a lot of the fans that grew up with these films. Uh, next is a section on aviation. These wonderful flying contraptions that Miyazaki creates, you know, he really thinks of so many details of these planes and flying machines, the engine types, the maximum speed that they would travel. Uh, so being able to see some of these image boards and key animation in particular, I think is going to be exciting uh, opportunity for visitors. So the next gallery on the exhibition journey is called Transformations. And so far we've been going through a daytime scenario. All the uh, galleries we talked about before are set in daytime. And now we're going to a nighttime scenario. So you have to imagine that this gallery is very, very dark. It doesn't feature a lot of artwork, um, but three large-scale projections that deal with more serious issues in Hayao Miyazaki's films. So for example, one montage is dedicated to the theme of war and another is dedicated to the idea of pollution. Um, so we're conveying this content merely by film clips from his films. And we thought that this was powerful enough 
um, in an almost theatrical setting to uh, convey you know, the difficulties of life that he's asking us to embrace, but also to reflect upon. So this may be a more serious moment um, on the visitor's journey, but then they will go to the next gallery. And the next gallery, I think, is one of the, the highlights of the exhibition, is the Magical Forest. So it's really influenced by two films, Princess Mononoke and My Neighbor Totoro, where trees really kind of uh, have a really important role in Miyazaki's films. You know, the forests are magical places where you encounter spirits. Um, you may not see them all the time, but they're there, uh, turning on and off. So we have an installation with a giant mother tree. You know, in many of his films, they play kind of a critical role um, in the story. Um, and visitors, you know, will be able to see Kodama spirits appearing and disappearing, um, really kind of immersing themselves in these magical forest landscapes. Um, you know, we have this amazing tree in the center of the gallery um, that's glowing and flickering, and, you know, the floor is cork, so visitors will kind of feel like they're in the forest. It's a midnight blue, and we have amazing production materials from Princess Mononoke in this gallery. We have two large-scale installations. Um, and I think the really interesting part in this gallery is also that we're focusing on his poetry. Um, for Princess Mononoke, he wrote a few poems for his crew um, as the composer was drafting the, the image music for the film, um, the term that Jiffy uses. Yeah, so I think with the poetry that Miyazaki creates, we have two poems, uh, one for the Kodama tree spirits and one for the tree, um, the deer god in Princess Mononoke. And in the center, we have image boards, these concept sketches for key scenes and uh, Princess Mononoke and this inspiration um, behind that. And then, you know, this is one of the last chapters as the exhibition concludes. Yes, and then you leave it through another transitional corridor, much like you came in with May through her tree tunnel, you're leave, now leaving with Chihiro um, through the magic portal of Spirited Away. So that concludes the visitor journey. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, such a comprehensive sounding exhibition, looking into the themes we see in the films, as well as in between the lines of the films, and the craft behind the films. I suppose we, we love all of that detail, the detail we can find in the films, but also the backstory, the production history. And what's been a thread throughout our podcast is the insights into the filmmaker we can glean from learning about that. And I wondered, what do you hope the visitors will learn about Miyazaki from the exhibition? Well, the way we're looking at Hayao Miyazaki, the angle we take it in, we want to introduce him, yes, as a filmmaker, as an auteur, but we also want to introduce him as a deep thinker, as a philosopher. And we kind of want to convey that what's special about his films from our point of view is that they're simplistic and complex at the same time. And there's so many layers of meaning um, in his films that can be discovered. And we don't, we don't want to explain all of these layers for all of his films. I mean, I'm not sure we have discovered all the layers. They're this complex. I'm not sure you have. I mean, they're just like so incredible. But basically it is an invitation for visitors to think more or review his films, go, go to the theater, watch them again. You know, we're going to screen all the Ghibli films in our, our theaters. So 
discover more about Hayao Miyazaki and pick up on some of the vibes and the mood, you know, that he's sending. Because even though his worlds and his characters are um, imagined, obviously, and animated, they do not really exist, his films are realistic enough that we can draw something from them. So the idea is, you know, whenever you're desperate or you're going through a really hard time and we've just gone through this really difficult year um, of having been socially isolated, fearing for our lives and seeing people sick and dying. It's been a really tough time. I think there's a message of hope in his films that we are trying to convey at the end of our exhibition as well. So if you have the opportunity to reconnect with yourself your environment with others, with your spirituality, um, you know, there's beauty in this world. These moments of beauty in this world that are so important to him, we're hoping to convey um, in our exhibition as well. And hopefully visitors will leave feeling relieved uh, and feeling hopeful and feeling optimistic about the future. And um, our hope is that they will reflect upon these issues um, a little bit after their journey. You know, visitors through the trajectory of the exhibition will kind of, you know, glean the immense creativity behind Miyazaki, just the attention to detail. You know, he creates these worlds and in his, you know, he creates maps of the locations, thinking of the places, the, you know, in relation to each other, the spatial arrangement. These things may not appear in the film, but he's thinking about them. But I think more importantly is um, learning through feeling. Um, we really want the visitors to feel the magic of Miyazaki's films. From the moment, you know, they walk through the true tunnel, maybe they think back to what it was like as a kid to really have this curiosity, like May as she follows Totoro's. In the different moments in the exhibition, we really paid attention to the exhibition journey and the feeling that it would evoke in visitors. You know, these transitions from day to night, you know, what it's going to feel like to be in the magical forest gallery in these wonderful landscapes. Um, and especially coming out of this tough year, it was great to have the work of Miyazaki as a uh, companion through the last year. Um, and I think for a lot of us, we revisited these films. So I'm hoping that at the end, visitors will just discover the magic of cinema, really, and of this grandmaster that really conveys so much um, and has conveyed so much in just 12 feature films. Um, 11, he's working on this next one. And, you know, maybe they'll go down to the theater and, you know, watch something they haven't seen. Or if they've only seen it on the small screen, discover what a theatrical director he is when you see these movies, you know, how did he create, intended them to be shown. I'd, um, I'd love to wind back the clock a few years when this exhibition was a, a mere kind of twinkle in the eye of the Academy Museum, because... Studio Ghibli is very much, to me at least, and for me and Michael, when we went to Japan, it's almost like a Willy Wonka type place. Uh, and that to be in communication with them, to develop anything with them is such a privilege. And so rather than getting into kind of the exhibition as you've kind of, as it's now being realized, could you tell us about the story of getting to this point and working with 
Studio Ghibli because this is well and truly a collaboration with them and because it, we just so know so little about what they're up to now uh, like, and anything we can glean from you about the process would be amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's taken us quite a while to identify which show we would want to do as an opening temporary show and we've chosen Hayao Miyazaki for several reasons. Like we said before, like this, first of all, it's very exclusive. No one's ever done it before. So <clears throat> that was a reason, but also his international appeal and the universality of his films was something that's really appealing because they do have an impact on pretty much everyone. Like everyone can relate to these films and they've been globally so successful that we thought, um, that would be a wonderful exhibition to do. So we reached out to Studio Ghibli early in the process many years ago now. And for a while, they were skeptical about it um, for obvious reasons. We don't exist yet. They don't really know who we are. Um, they have not ever let another institution curate exhibitions about them. Um, they are curating uh, their own shows, their own exhibitions, but they have not entrusted another institution enough to do this about them. And it was very important to them that we understand their philosophy, how they think, how they work, what makes them tick. So they invited us to come to Japan and they took us on a tour um, of Japan. So we saw several of their exhibitions. We spent some time together. We went to the onsen, the Japanese baths, and they showed us the studio, they showed us the museum, they showed us the grass house, which is where their collection is being housed. Um, and we talked to a lot of people. And when we left, I was kind of surprised because I'm used to, you know, having a business conversation and a discussion, and then you come to a result or a conclusion. But I left Japan happy, but also puzzled because I didn't know if had they really agreed to do this with us or not. Um, wasn't entirely sure. So it took a while longer. They wanted to see our initial ideas, um, an, ex an initial exhibition concept, which basically already featured all the elements we were talking about today. And they asked us a lot of very hard, but also very good questions that helped us in our process, that moved us forward, that made us think more about certain issues and aspects of the exhibition. So it's definitely helpful. Um, but they did ask a lot of hard, hard questions um, before they finally, I think that took about a year, maybe, um, agreed to work on this with us. C could you share some of those hard questions? Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> that was so long ago. Um, well, one is why Hayao? And, you know, if you're confronted with the Ghibli team, you know, how do you respond to that in a way that's worthy, you know? Yes. And also, um, how would we portray him? In which way? From what point of view? And I think they were really happy that we said, we don't want to introduce him as an animator, not even just as a filmmaker. Um, we really want to look at him as this great thinker who expresses his approach to life, his life philosophy, his worldview through animated film, but also as a craftsman. Um, we want to show, you know, his amazing ability as a visual storyteller to express everything in drawings, everything he has to say. So I think they kind of like that answer, but they ask us a lot more detailed questions, like why are you focusing on Nausicaa? 
why, why do you want to do the sky view installation thing? But as soon as we told them why, this was inspired by Kiki, and we see that in so many of his films, like when he's thro- uh, slowing down and allowing his protagonists to just be, be in nature and contemplate these scenes that aren't action-driven. This is what inspired us to create the same kind of experience for our visitors. They were like, oh, yeah, we love that. That's amazing. And then later on, when we had difficulties putting together the moving image content for the Skyview installation, because originally we thought we could use elements from his films, extract clips that show clouds passing by, because you do see that quite often. But the perspective was never right, and it didn't really work out. So we reached out to them, told them, like, look, um, we really want to do this. We still want to do this, but we're having issues putting it together. They send us backgrounds. They send us drawings with clouds on them and said, like, look, you can use these um, as the basis. That still didn't quite work out until we finally collaborated with uh, um, Nishikawa-san, um, who's an art director at Studio Ghibli and known as the cloud guy. Um, so <laughs> he ended up painting the clouds and the sky for Skyview for us. And that was, they shipped the drawings to us and then they were animated at an animation studio here in Los Angeles. So now we have a really bespoke piece in, in our exhibition. And we're so happy that it is based on hand-drawn background paintings by a Ghibli artist. So that was wonderful. So, you know, all these things that were critical throughout the process in the end led to something that was better um, in quality and more meaningful because of Studio Ghibli's contribution. That really is remarkable that you got the cloud guy to provide the clouds for the sky view. I wanted to ask, you've done such a great job of sketching out the, the whole vision behind the exhibition, but we love the small details and the the favorite little bits that other people may not see on first view. Um, do you have each of you a favorite little thing that we should definitely look out for if we do get to go out there and visit? I really like his poetry. I think that is something really special. We have his handwritten poems in the um, Magical Forest Gallery. And these are just small pieces of paper with with his handwriting on it. But I find it quite remarkable that a director would, instead of writing character treatments, would write poetry for his crew, for his staff, to better explain the sensibility of these characters, their personality, and um, how they should appear in the film. I think that's really magical and that's so rare. I've worked on a lot of film exhibitions before and I've never had the privilege to exhibit poetry that was directly coming from the production process. I think for me, I've always been fascinated by his maps as he's thinking of these landscapes, he creates these image boards and that's the term for concept sketches. Um, And they're kind of the impression that, you know, he creates, you know, roughly like 20 and 60 for each film, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, And these kind of are the foundation for the film. And these maps that he creates kind of show his, I think, really deep thinking, Um, you know, where the sun's setting, you know, you can see where it's north and south. Uh, The relationship of things to each other, you know, these maps from Nausicaa are incredible. Um, Because you really kind of envision this incredible, incredibly complicated landscape you know, that's toxic, um, which, you know, I 
it was, uh, you know, interesting to write labels when you see some of these image boards with people with gas masks. And it's like he was ahead of the time in terms of what the issues we're going to be confronting. Um, so I think these maps are something to look out for. Raul, you're selling this exhibition to me extremely well. I'm, I'm very into my maps, even when they're not Studio Ghibli related. I love a map. Like I choose to read nonfiction books about maps in my spare time. So, you know, the fact that you've picked out maps is um, warming my heart. And um, yeah, I'm going to open up another tab and book up, book my flight now um, <laughs> just, to, just to see those. So we've spoken a lot about this exhibition, about your process talking to Ghibli. What we haven't spoken about is your relationships to Studio Ghibli. And so I've got my way of getting into Studio Ghibli. That's well documented. It was this podcast. How did you both get into it? What was your journey? Well, we first went to pitch the exhibition to them. Um, and I actually had a meeting with the master himself in his studio, in his atelier. I don't know if you had a chance to go in there, but I was very, very excited to meet the master himself. And when we were let in there, Toshio Suzuki was present and our contact partner at the time, who also acted as a translator because I don't speak Japanese, unfortunately, um, would have been more respectful to, you know, talk to him in his own language, but I couldn't, unfortunately. And we sat down in this at this big table in his studio. And I remember behind him, you know, there was the window and through the window, I could see this majestic, gigantic tree um, right behind the master. And it's like, okay, this is where this is coming from or maybe coming from. And he definitely has an affinity for these trees. And I just thought that, oh, this, um, this is a really good sign. I feel, I feel comfortable. And he was listening to us pitching the exhibition concept or the whole idea of the co collaboration very patiently. Um, and then at the end, he very politely thanked us uh, for coming to him and said he felt honored, but that he doesn't know much about exhibition. So he would ask us to work with his team um, or selected team members on developing this exhibition. And this is what we did in the next couple of years. So there were, you know, a many people involved at Studio Ghibli, but our closest contact partners were uh, three people in particular that we worked with. Um, and they helped us select artwork, they helped us on the development of the catalog. They did all the fact-checking. Um, they will do the fact-checking for the exhibition didactics now next, next week. So we can be sure that everything is correct and accurate. They also arranged, and that was very, very helpful for us. Um, when we went on another trip, they arranged um, interviews with key Ghibli staff for us. So we were able to interview several people from different departments to learn all about the Ghibli process or the Miyazaki process, Takahata had a very different production process. So um, we learned more about Miyazaki's process in particular, which was incredibly, incredibly helpful because they're doing things their own way. Um, and we learned something that is quite remarkable, uh, that is that how Miyazaki makes films is so particular and so special uh, and he really needs the support of this flexible work environment that can adapt to his thinking and his imagination and keep up with him in a, in a way. Like this huge supporting team um, to, to make these films and that the artist's creativity is more important than the efficiency of certain work processes. So, um, and that is what's making Ghibli films so special, I think. 
one of the things. So we learned so much from them. That point in particular about how creativity can sometimes take precedence over efficiency is the thing that so many of our guests, if they're from Ardman or Pixar or Cartoon Saloon, they want to somehow harness a little bit of that because they just don't understand how Ghibli can work at that pace, throw things out, bring things in at the last minute. It's it's That's their magic, I suppose. So this exhibition just sounds amazing. And so by the time this episode goes out, it will, um, I, this will be going out in the summer. So people will be able to get to it from the end of September. Um, and hopefully international travel will be a bit more open then and people can get to it from all over the world. But something that we've been asking all of our guests is if they could pick out kind of an underrated Ghibli gem from the, uh, the Ghibli library, what would they pick? Uh, and so Michael's all-time favorite film is Whisper of the Heart, which is not one of their most well-known. Uh, so what would you two be picking? Porcaroso. A fantastic choice, a superb film, a perfect film. I would, I would have picked Porcaroso as well, because, I mean, there's so much humor in, in that film. And it's also a film that isn't originally addressed for, you know, a kid's audience. It's uh, for older people. I believe he once said it's, um, it's made for middle-aged men whose brains have turned into tofu, <laughs> which I find quite amazing. It's still a really complex and good film, much to be discovered in Porco Rosso, but it has a sense of humor in it that I, I really thoroughly enjoy. That's a fantastic pick. I don't know if you've seen, but this week they announced they've made some very high-end, quite luxury replicas of Porco Rosso's flight hat and fedora <laughs> that they're selling in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you'll be bringing that over for the gift shop. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's that's a great idea. We should reach out to them because um, our retail people um, have been working with Studio Ghibli on exclusive merchandise for our museum store. So maybe that would be something to add to the collection. I mean, it's, it's, it's several hundred dollars. I think it's the very high end. <laughs> a bit out of our price range as much as it would very, very much suit Jake. <laughs> Yeah, I think the flight cap would actually help me contain my hair, which uh, has gone a bit mad during lockdown. And well, one final thing, and I mean, this is, we're going to go totally out of the Ghibli world for this, is on this podcast, we've spoken about every Ghibli film in detail. We've gone back, we've watched them again. We've talked to people about them. We've gone to Japan. And so now we're always on the hunt for what is next. And so we've spoken about Cartoon Saloon, Satoshi Kon, People suggest Laika or Gendi Tartakovsky, uh, all these animators and studios we could explore. So you guys, you've spent years now in the world of Studio Ghibli, much like us. And uh, I'm sure you don't want to be thinking about what's next, really. Um, but in your adventures in animation, where could we go next? Does it have to be animation? It doesn't have to be animation because that's the interesting thing is when we talk to writers or, of course, when we talk to animators, they will suggest sometimes quite avant-garde Eastern European animators to us. But uh, when we talk to writers and others, they may suggest another filmmaker. So particularly Jessica, you said, you know, with, with the history of exhibitions you've worked on, if there's any filmmaker who could benefit from this deep treatment that we've given Ghibli. Um, yeah, I mean, you already mentioned Eastern European. That is what I would have said um, if you wanted to stay in the world of uh, animation. I would have recommended Jiri Trinka. Um, and other Eastern European um, animators and uh, filmmakers that did amazing animation. Um, for non-animation, hmm, 
I'm right now um, fascinated by the filmmaker Celine Siama. Um, I love her very much. Uh, I have to admit, her films are just amazing and very cinematic, much like Hayao Miyazaki's films. And she recently said somewhere, I don't know if it was Cannes or somewhere else, that how much she was inspired by Hayao Miyazaki's films. And I never thought about this link or this connection before, really. But when you think about it, that makes perfect sense. They're both very visual, cinematic storytellers that don't necessarily rely on dialogue too much. Um, their films are not action-driven. There are so many things that they have in common, and um, I find her really fascinating as a filmmaker. She's one of our favorites, absolutely. Raul, do you have anyone that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I would say Lucrecia Martel uh, from Argentina. She has a small body of work, but powerful and mighty. What she does with sound is, I think, incredible. Um, how she really conceives of a film um, with the soundtrack and what she's able to accomplish in that box that she calls, you know, the cinematic box um, is incredible and I think uh, underappreciated and should have a larger following. Well, I mean, we'd be with you on both of these picks. I think Michael and I's, both of our, some of our favorite films of the last couple of years have been both Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Zama. Uh, so like, we'll, we'll get you two back on those uh, podcasts when we do them. Uh, you can do a guest spot. Uh, but Raul, Jessica, it has been such a pleasure and uh, hopefully we will get to see this fantastic exhibition. Just talking it through with you has been amazing. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Please do come to Los Angeles and visit us. This was a wonderful conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it and like to continue it in person. Likewise. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much to Jessica and Raoul for talking us through that exhibition and for the nerdier people among us, the research process behind <laughs> the exhibition. <laughs> I mean, Jake, I think that we, we think we've been on a nerdy journey talking about Ghibli on this podcast for three years, but imagine actually having three years going to Japan, going to the Ghibli Museum, Ghibli offices, going to this archive that I think uh, is, is mentioned that I've not heard about before and now is shooting right up to the top of my must-visit list along with the Academy Museum for this Hayao Miyazaki exhibition. Yeah, it's amazing. And, I mean, I don't, there is so much amazing stuff from the Ghibli history books that you could see at this exhibition. But I think the thing that most fascinated me was the the new thing, which is some fresh, original Ghibli clouds. Imagine that some bespoke Ghibli clouds that haven't even been seen before and you can go and lie down and relax with them in the museum. God, I would love that. Oh. There are many things uh, that I that I wish that I could be remembered for in my life, but imagine being the person that does the clouds in Ghibli films, that being your calling card. <laughs> That's got to be you know, right up there. Uh, so thank you again to Jessica and Raul for that conversation. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, if you're looking for any more Ghibli Tech conversations, uh, make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts where subscribers over there have access to our spin-off series, the Ghibli Tech Library Cafe, where we've done chats about our nerdy Ghibli vinyl collections and manga and video games. And we'll be doing lots of other conversations about things that aren't necessarily always about Studio Ghibli. But of course, if you do like chat about Studio Ghibli, we'll have another episode of The Chat Returns coming out 
very soon. But in the meantime, you can get in touch with us, Ghibli at little.studios.com or on Twitter at Ghibliotech. Jake's also on there at Jake H. Cunningham. And Michael's there at Michael J. Leo. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe, our music is by Anthony Ying, and James Payne is our editor. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill, and Steph Watts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.